0: Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero. The courage of a rebel. The strength of a leader. The loyalty of comrades. The power of the Force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. Is Darth Vader my father? A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes, villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. It's your crap. The quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Family of Podcasts. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and we are continuing with our journey, countdown, whatever you want to call it, to the Force Awakens. We're just a few days away at this recording. It's unbelievable. Joining me to talk about return of the Jedi is host of Dead Both and Spies, Ryan Daly. Ryan, welcome back to the show, man. You may dispense with the pleasantries, Rob. <laughs> I'm here to put you back on schedule. <laughs> You asked the impossible. I need more men. Uh, <laughs> the Emperor, good work motivator. Um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about Return of the Jedi. As I said, we are just, as the, the night Ryan and I are recording this, the Star Wars premiere is happening which is just so exciting. Uh, I caught one second of it online, and it was Billy D Williams with his grandson, I think, which yeah, is I saw so that too. adorable. I'm like, oh, Billy D. And then the same day, I discovered that Billy D Williams is on Twitter. I'm like, I have to hit follow there. There we go. <laughs> That's done. So, yeah, we're here to talk about Return of the Jedi. Um, Woo! Now, you know, I... Ryan was the first person I went to because he hosted Bothan Spies and asked him, of the three films, which one did he want to cover. And, Ryan, you said Jedi. So why did you pick Jedi of the three? Well, I believe I told you that this is the
2: movie of the three that I'm the most critical of, but I do have a lot of emotional attachment to this one. And also part of it was strategy, because I knew if I had any problems with what you guys talked about with Star Wars (laughs) and Empire Strikes Back, I could comment on that (laughs) retroactively.
1: I would get the last word in.
2: Exactly. Um, No, as I mentioned on my most recent episode of Dead, Bath & Spies, Return of the Jedi, if my memory holds true, was the first movie that I saw in a movie theater. Now, it would not have been in 1983 when the movie first came out. Uh, Revealing more about myself, I was born in September of 1981, so I was less than two years old when Jedi first came out. But it was re-released, it would have been in 1985 or 1986, and I went and saw it at the, the State Street Theater in Sycamore, Illinois, the town adjacent to my own hometown, and I saw it with my brother and my dad, and at the time, I knew who the characters were. I must have seen them on VHS, because we recorded the old movies on HBO or on TV or something, so I knew who the characters were. We had the toys, Uh, so I I wasn't lost. I didn't have trouble following along. I knew what to expect, but I also didn't know what to expect, and it just... I don't know if my jaw ever closed once the movie started. That's my only real, real memory of once the movie started. I just, I was probably standing up the entire time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, all through my life, I mean, I saw Jedi in the theater um, in 1983, and I always considered it as good as the other two movies. I, I, you know, I looked at it as these three movies are equally excellent there's, you know, and it was only over time that the sort of critical, sort of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, sort of like understood wisdom, conventional wisdom, started to set in that Jedi is not quite as good as the other two. And and after a while, I started accepting that as well. I think that probably comes from
2: just understanding a little bit more of movie making and storytelling. Uh, because certainly when I was a kid, Return of the Jedi was my favorite and it wasn't because it was the movie with the ewoks like even though i was the prime age and like the perfect demographic to love those ewoks they weren't what i liked about the movie they also weren't they've never been what i hated about the movie but yeah as a kid that was my favorite one for a long time and it was only kind of when i i became a little bit older maybe more mature you could argue that that i started thinking well There are some problems with character development in this one that I don't find in the other two, Um, and if if I'm approaching it from a distance, I mean I would I would still say the Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars; those two movies are in my top five favorite movies of all time. Uh, They both get an A plus from me. Return of the Jedi, probably an A minus. just because, with time, I've had a few other problems with it, but that doesn't interfere with the the raw emotion that this movie also delivers more fun moments than some of the others.
1: Hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, my I, I watched all three films over the weekend again. Uh, I had we had uh, our, my nephew over, who I've mentioned on the show before, to to sort of get back in the mood. and Not that you need to uh, for the Star Wars, but you know we're going to be seeing Force Awakens on Thursday night, so we're like, hey, let's watch the trilogy again. And having l- literally just watched Jedi thirty six hours ago or a little more than that, you know, I was like, boy, I. I love this movie. I love this movie as much as I love the other ones. Intellectually, I realize, yeah, it's not as good in terms of the story structure. Uh, I mean, the scene after they rescue Han from Jabba the Hutt, spoiler alert, uh, the movie kind of has to start over. Yes. And that's And that's a problem that Empire particularly just doesn't have, because Empire just barrels through its story like, you know, an Indiana Jones movie. And it's a curious story structure that after such an exciting scene, and to me, uh, and we'll get into this in a moment, um, but, like, the rescue of Han Solo is my single favorite moment in any of the three Star Wars movies. And it's such a great scene that when the movie just sort of stops dead in its tracks for Luke to go back to Dagobah, you're kind of like... Mm, all right, that's kind of a weird, like, right at the moment where it should be building on that momentum, it puts the brakes on, and the, that's that seems like an odd story, that, but that, that's the that's the script, really, that's, you know, that at some point along the line, they should have been like, wait a minute, that's, that's a, let's not do that. It's, it's a weird, like,
2: the first 40 minutes, that whole
1: rescue of Han
2: second, feels like another movie, like, it's if you forget about the roman numeral number system of the movie if star wars was part 1 and empire was part 2 that whole sequence feels like episode 2.5 <laughs>
1: yeah
2: like it's it's this weird separate chunk that could have been it could have been like an adaptation of an expanded universe story that took place like it could have been part of the comics that they just made for a tv movie or something um but it, you're right it's also it's such a fun part that's and it's it's all these different things i mean when you think about how much of classical mythology and different types of story genres are embedded in that first star wars george lucas resurrected that feeling for those first 40 minutes in in return of the jedi oh, you've got um, yeah. this whole kind of weird palace intrigue this like infiltration of this criminal empire going undercover. So there's this weird sort of like cop story. And then when Luke does arrive, he's dropped into the Rancor pit, which feels like an a knight fighting a dragon. Right. And then at the end when they go to the Sarlacc pit, that you're right, that is one of my favorite all time scenes because all of a sudden it becomes a pirate movie. Yes, yes. It's he's literally he's on a plank over shark infested waters. Yep. And then he's swinging a sword fighting other pirates, and he's yep. swinging from one barge to the next off of ropes. It's so fun. Like, that that was by far, when I first saw the movie, that was the highlight. That fight on Jabba's sail barge was the best part of all of the Star Wars movies for years yep. when I was a kid. Um, it's great, and, and many people, my wife including, will point out that Luke's plan, so-called plan to rescue, is nonsensical. I, can't, can I still can't it, you, really full make it what exactly the plan is. Exactly. You can pull apart any point of it and it doesn't work. It, there's, there's no logic. None of it tracks. And at any point they could have failed, so it's just sort of flying by night. But at the same time, it's you watch that scene and you feel like, yeah, that's what a Jedi knight would have done in the Old Republic before the days of the Empire. Like, a Jedi would just go into a gangster's house
1: and just bring it down around Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, I mean, you know, for the first two films, Luke is always under the gun, metaphorically. I mean, he's always, like, insecure. He's being told he's not ready. He's not this, he's that. He's, you know, he meets Darth Vader and he gets his ass handed to him. And then you've got this third film where he's literally about to be dumped into a giant monster mouth. And he's like, free us or die. I mean, he's John wayne it. And I love that about Luke, that over the course of the second to the third film, he's had that conversion. You know, he's now full on – first of all, he's walking around dressing like Jim Steranko, which is kind of cool. But, I mean, <laughs> I I just love that scene of just the, the ships flying in the background and the music is piratey, as you say. And just the idea that he is so confident. He's literally about to be dumped into the mouth of a monster and he's the one issuing threats. Mm-hmm. I love that about – and to me it's like I've always been a Han Solo kid more than a Luke kid. I always was. But I'm like, man, if Luke had been like this through the three movies, I would have been a Luke guy. Now I realize that's not his arc. Right. But but I just and, – and I – we're not going to get into this too, too much, although we probably can't help it. Like, I hope there is some more of that in Force Awakens, of just mm-hmm. the swaggering Luke, because I love him so much. In Je- and right at the point where Han, a movie where Han Solo is really sidelined, yeah. uh, Luke is just completely filling the screen as being that guy. I mean, he's just like, yeah, I'm a Jedi, everybody. That's it. You know, I right. love that. Right. Yeah.
2: You see that actual, that moment of reversal when they're on the skiff and he tells Han, don't worry, I've taken care of everything. Yes, And Han kind of dismissively doesn't believe him. Like Han is the one who's full of bravado. He's the one who, you know, he'll, he'll just wing it and, and make it work. And you just see that, nope,
1: Luke has supplanted him. Luke really is the leader of this group. Yeah, so. yeah, it's wonderful. I said it's. It is. I mean, there's so much about that sequence. Uh, I mean, th- something else too about like Job of the Hut. Job of the Hut is the rare movie monster. The, mere, the rare movie character that was built up in your. And I know, of course, I can only speak for myself. But the rare movie monster that's built up in my imagination and was better than my imagination. It the, the his final conception as a puppet was more imaginative and more disgusting than I ever thought. I mean, I knew there was the the Marvel Jabba the Hutt, the guy with the big mutton chops. But I always, even as a kid, I was able to separate those two worlds. I was like, oh, that's Marvel Star Wars. That's not movie Star Wars. So that, I know Jabba the Hutt doesn't look like he's wearing jodhpurs. No, that's not Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> so, But I had no idea what Jabba looked like. And then they finally show him. And he is as disgusting as anything you would see in a David Cronenberg movie or a David Lynch movie. you got to wonder, if David Lynch had ended up directing Jedi like he was supposed (laughs) to, Jedi – I don't know if Jabba would have looked any worse. Jabba is so disgusting and he's so imposing and you get the sense – this is why he's behind the scenes – not behind the scenes, but this is why you never see him for two movies. Right. And which is why he does not show up at Docking Bay 94, George. uh, I've got – I've got – Four or five p- problems with that scene in yeah.
2: the special edition. Yeah, and,
1: it makes um, it, none of it makes any bloody sense. Yeah, no, but, but it,
2: and, and you're absolutely right. And talk about like as much as with Yoda, talk about an example of the practical being so much better than uh, the, what CGI could accomplish. It, like, you're totally right, and he's he's one of those examples where you look at this guy and you're like, well, he can't be a physical threat,
1: right? Because he can't move, right? But in some way,
2: that makes him worse. Yeah. That does make him scarier. Because, you know, whatever his reputation is, there's a reason he's got, like, 50 hired guns and assassins working for him that are afraid of him. And, uh, yeah, it's just, oh, you know, yeah, he totally, I've never had a problem with him. I, I think that absolutely works. Um, it, Like, the more that I think about it, I I wish they had just chosen to set Jabba's Palace on any planet other than Tatooine mm. because that was the first of many steps that the movies would eventually take towards making Tatooine the bright center of the universe right. stars, <laughs> as opposed to the planet that it's farthest from that Luke told C3. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I wish that I mean yeah, I, I wish it had been set somewhere else, but beyond that, no, yeah. It's it's a great, again, for just being the first 40, 45 minutes of the movie, it's this great little perfect Star Wars adventure that's self-contained, and it's beautiful. And then once you leave that, it does become a second movie. Now we're in the third part.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then the scene, uh, the, this is something else, too, the, and uh, about... The, the scene with Yoda where he goes back to visit Yoda uh, it never made any sense to me that sort of Yoda dies while he's still trying to talk it's sort of like I don't get the sense that the Jedi's are, are that weak that they get. like I would think can't Yoda just prolong his death to finish the sentence like that sort of bothered me a little uh, and it's and it's part of the thing that like one of the reasons again i think that uh, the prequels are uh, left me wanting is that they focus so heavily on jedi stuff when if you really look too closely at the jedi stuff it falls apart the the, the worlds of jedi don't make a lot of sense in terms of the to me how the force works how their rules are i mean it's like to me it's like you're not supposed to care about anything the, the, you know like the, if To me, if you examine what Ben Kenobi and Yoda tell Luke, a lot a lot of it makes sense. And so it's like you kind of just brush by it. But to me, you focus a whole movie on it, on Jedis, then things start really getting iffy. And... Yeah, there
2: are, there are inconsistencies in how the Jedi are portrayed or how the Jedi are described from one movie to the next yeah. in that classic trilogy. And you're right, they can get away with that because there are so few examples that it can still be mysterious. Yeah. When you rewind to a time when the Jedi are plentiful, then it's like, okay, okay. But I also don't think, like, all of a sudden, it went from this very Eastern philosophy to a very monastic
1: Western type of church view, which yeah, didn't sit with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? So you said you don't have any problem with the Ewoks, right? You're 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 fine with the Ewoks. I. I have a problem
2: with the idea that they were – if this is true, if – and it's sort of the popular wisdom is that, like, they were driven in large part to sell toys and to be more kitty friendly if that was the inspiration behind the characters, I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But looking at their function in the story, I have no problem with, because it it's sort of it, – it is representative on like a little bit of a micro scale of what the rebellion is doing. It's this small insurgent indigenous population that is rising up against this evil empire that has taken them over, and it is this sort of metaphor that it's yeah the empire would never believe that a threat this small could be of any like danger to them, and that's why they are so dangerous because they're underestimated. And it's also like. Okay, I'm going to do something that sounds like I'm defending the Phantom Menace here. But if you were just describing what the Gungans are in the Phantom Menace, it's that same type of thing, that they're this misunderstood kind of like subhuman group, this species that then becomes you know, brought in to be the defending army that helps the people win this war and win back their culture and their planet. That's really profound on levels. Now, if you characterize them as racist cartoons, that becomes a problem. Um, but on the bigger scale, what Shag would call the 10,000-foot view, <laughs> I have no problem with them. So getting that back to the Ewoks, yeah, I mean, I do think they're cute. And I think they have a good function in the movie's plot. I wish they weren't so cute, so obviously cute.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, if if George had been able to do that with Wookies or with another type of indigenous species that didn't look like Care Bears, <laughs> maybe that would have been better. Um, but again, I've never hated the I've never hated the Ewoks but also even when i was a kid i never wanted to play with the ewoks i wanted to play with the heroes yeah yeah so yeah I, i'm i'm in this weird position where i kind of look at them and i'm like i shrug and i'm like okay
1: yeah i had all the star wars figures all the way through jedi but the ewoks were my least uh, i mean i had that collector mentality of like i had to get them all mm-hmm. and i think i was bothered that there were like four different ewoks i was like really do i need all four and i'm like all right i'll get wicked but like do i need the others i and it's funny too when you think about the, the ewoks in terms of their 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 place in the story structure and thematically that it's Lucas flips the script basically from star Wars. Cause in star Wars, it's all a Vietnam allegory. It's mm-hmm. the, these, these small, the small band of rebels is going to defeat this giant, you know, world power in the star Wars pilots get, you know, galaxy power but it's a Vietnam allegory it's oh look at what America went over to Vietnam and thought well we'll just wipe the floor with these people because they're just living out in the jungle and they got sticks and we're going to kill them all well no it didn't work out that way but then he flips that for Jedi because now it's the good guys that are the underdogs it's you know it's the good guys that are living out in the bush and do not appear to be much of a threat so it's it's sort of interesting that he Took it that way, and yeah, I agree. I never had a problem with the Ewoks, but yeah, they they're a little cutesy. Every time I see one of the Ewoks with like his feet up, and like his the bottom of the Ewok feet look like cute teddy bear feet, as opposed to like <laughs> filthy, disgusting, you know, the kind of feet that you would find in a, in, a, in a creature that lives out in the woods. You know, yeah, it's it is a little on the on the cute, and they do a lot of physical humor, and right. there is stuff in Jedi that like you feel like you can see where Lucas was headed.
0: Mm -hmm. In terms of, I
1: mean, the frog that grabs the fly and then burps on camera. And, like, you could see sort of head in that direction. And I think, I have to wonder, like, what an Ewok sequence would have been like if it was directed by Irvin Kershner. You know, I mean, they, supposedly, the reason that Lucas picked Richard Marquand was because Marquand was kind of less, I don't mean to say this in a nasty way, but, like, less distinguished Right. of of an of a director and he felt that Luke Lucas felt I think he could kind of control Marquand a little that's what i've heard uh, yeah, yeah a little more than than Kirchner apparently was very much like you know okay in a nice way you stay back in america and count your money and you know send memos but i'm directing the movie and i felt like a Marquand was a little more pliable, and you got to wonder if Lucas didn't, you know, constantly and 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 I in the uh, the book I've mentioned a couple of times of how Star Wars conquered the universe, there are on set reports that Lucas was there, literally, t- like talking to actors and telling them what to do, mm-hmm. and it was almost like Mark Winn was like, uh, you know, cut, is it a cut? Like that level of of mm-hmm. overseeing, and so that's part of it, and I think another reason that the Jedi maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap is because, like I said, Mark When a didn't live long enough to be around, to defend right. his... and He died uh, in the mid-'80s. Uh, the rest of his filmography is not terribly distinguished. Uh, he made a movie called Eye of the Needle, which is actually a really good spy thriller. But uh, his last film is a, a, an absolutely dreadful movie called Hearts of Fire, which, despite the fact it stars Bob Dylan, who's my hero, that's an <laughs> awful movie. Bob Dylan has no business being in a movie. It's terrible. And it's I I wonder if Marquand had lived, had like had he been around to def, sort of defend himself a little, or or be the the chief defender of the movie, people wouldn't find it as easy to rag on it because he'd be there saying you know kind of giving you the background and all that kind of stuff. But he unfortunately you know missed all the fandom.
2: I also think uh, doesn't the movie lacks Gary Kurtz? He didn't produce this one, right? Right. And he Lucas produced had Star big, Wars and Empire. They had a big
1: fallout. Point. Yeah.
2: And by all accounts he was the one who was oftentimes able to push back with George and kinda of wrangle him and yeah. and maybe through that diversity generated some good product and and this was yeah, like I mean, this was the first one where George really didn't have a lot of opposition and maybe that helped in showing and and I just it's part of it. He you can see how he was changing, and he talked about it in parts like his his changing relationships in the eighties. One of the reasons he says that uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom was so much darker was because he was having personal problems. He was right. going through a divorce in the mid early eighties or something. So that that might have affected. His his
1: view towards some of these properties. Yeah, I mean, Temple of Doom, I think, is a great example of why going dark is not always the best route <laughs> to do it. I mean, and although I will say when I watched uh, Jedi again uh, over the weekend, every scene that they have of like the stormtroopers getting attacked by the Ewoks where because of the framing, you don't really see the stormtrooper bodies. You just sort of see their arms and legs sticking up in the air and the Ewoks down sort of jamming their spears. Like to me, I, I it turns into like a cannibal Ferox thing where I'm like, I, <laughs> boy, they're really horribly doing. And like at the end where they're playing the the, they're using the stormtrooper heads as percussion. Yep. I like to tell myself those those helmets aren't empty. <laughs> right. Well, the Ewoks were going to eat Han, Luke, right. and
2: There you go. Eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's I mean the implication is that hey, they look cute, but they 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 dined on man flesh. <laughs>
1: Um, you know, there's another the one uh, my favorite part of the whole Ewok sequence I think is when C three PO tells the story. Mm I first of all I love the fact that he has access to Ben Burtt's sound effects, just fantastic. (laughs) But I mean, he he got an upload. He got an upload, update. Yeah, MP three. Yeah, it's R two D two MP three. Darth Vader trench attack MP three. But like, I I sort of like that the movie stops for a moment to sort of like. Remind the audience of this journey we've all been through together. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if... Again, I am not in any way criticizing the idea that we're going to have a Star Wars movie every year. But I wonder if you're going to lose a little something by not having that long stretch of time in between films. You know what I mean? Like, I saw Star Wars... I saw these movies when I was 6, 9, and 12. That's my whole lifetime. You know, up until that point. And watching that I still kind of get like really wrapped up in that scene with C3PO where he's telling the story because you're like wow that was a long time ago in my life and he you know it 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 has that resonance to it that I wonder will that not be there if chapter 7 was just a year and a half after you're seeing chapter 8
2: well I, that might depend on on you And how old you are And your place in life when you see the movies True. For younger generations If they don't have the same level of patience Or the same <laughs> attention span Which they probably don't like, 18 months between movies, they'll they'll have gone through, like, five different versions of their iPhone by then. Right. <laughs> There'll be ten Marvel movies in that time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, the thing that I always liked about that was, it. to me, as soon as I hear him telling that story, I remember the point in Star Wars when he first meets Luke and he's getting that oil bath. And Luke is asking him You guys have been in the rebellion Have you been in many battles And he's like Several I think I'm not really much of a storyteller I'm just an interpreter (laughs) And just this In in, in this own weird way It's kind of like Oh C-3PO gets an arc Mm -hmm. He is actually a different droid Than he was two movies ago And it's yeah, I just I like that moment for that reason.
1: Yeah, it's really said it's, it is wonderful just to stay, and to hear Darth Vader's voice come out of somebody else. Super <laughs> cool. I love that idea. Um, there is another scene I definitely want to mention before we kind of get off uh, Endor. Um, is boy does Leia take news the news that she's Darth Vader's daughter? Well, I mean, <laughs> she actually doesn't even regard remark upon it. She doesn't. She reacts to the
2: fact that she is Luke's sister. Yeah, but we don't get that moment where she puts two and two together and realize, wait, my father held me by the shoulders and made me watch the destruction of Alderaan? Yeah. Like, we never get that. And I'm worried that because it's 30 years later, we're never going to get that moment revealed in, in one of these movies. And and that <clears throat> it's uh, it's one of those things where, I, if I understand it correctly, that revelation that Luke and Leia are siblings was a late addition yeah, to the yeah. story that they had planned for. And and they really, Lucas and Kasdan didn't know what it meant when Yoda says there is another at the end <laughs> of the Empire. Like they didn't have a plan for that. Wow. They just did that to sort of build a sense of dread. Well, maybe Luke will die in this. Maybe he's not the their only hope. And if there is somebody else waiting in the wings, that makes him a little bit more expendable than we thought. But then when they got there, they were just like, well, it's too late. We can't introduce a new character. I thought that I thought that they kind of wanted to introduce another man, possibly a brother of Luke, in case Harrison Ford didn't come back. If they did kill off Han Solo, then they would have a replacement to kind of come in that way. And when all of that fell through, they're like, oh, yeah, well, okay, we need him to have a brother or sister that somebody we don't have to introduce. Okay, it's Leia. And it's like, oh. Okay, the, the there's there's really only one point for that revelation, and it is to give Luke the probe, like the push that he needs mm-hmm. to unleash his anger in their last climactic battle. That's the only reason in the movie to have them be brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. and for
1: that, I don't like it. <laughs> it I, I like it just fine, but it just her 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 so understated reaction just so it drives me crazy. I'm just like Leia.
2: This is huge, you know. Yeah, okay, if they were going to do it then they had to own it and that had to be a, a thing. And yeah. it just they didn't do anything with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh I actually that's a perfect segue because I did not want to uh Miss talking about the scene because it it frustrated me. I realized after we recorded it that in the episode Jag and I did about Empire Strikes Back, we never even mentioned the scene of Luke, I am your father. We never even got to that point. So I well, good because I have some thoughts about that scene. Okay, (laughs) all right. Well, go go ahead. Go ahead. You go. You go ahead. Well, I the, the scene of Luke and the Emperor and Darth Vader on the on the Death Star is to me Luke's finest moment. Uh, I love the fact that it comes at the end of the three films. It's perfectly timed. Uh, I mean, Han's finest moment is to me in Back in Empire, and he's sort of an afterthought a bit in, in Jedi. But that those scenes, and uh, it took me a little while to fully appreciate what I was seeing. And that 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 Luke does, in fact, channel the dark side. I don't think I fully grasped that for many years. That and he is so powerful that he because Yoda has that line about. You know, the minute you start going down the dark side forever, will it dominate your destiny or dominate your path or whatever it is? But Luke is able to channel the dark side long enough, but then come out of it. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is enormously powerful. And like I you know, um, uh, just the idea that he is able to turn it off consciously and then tell the Emperor, "Go F yourself." I'm not becoming what you want me to be. And he ch- chucks the lightsaber away when total mic drop moves. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, could just, you could just put it back on your belt. You don't have to actually throw it across the room. But that, I, I, it's like, it's just such an amazing moment. And Mark Hamill, again, we talked about this, Shag and I, that Mark Hamill just does not get enough credit for how good he is in these movies because it's like again the second film he spends the whole time talking to a puppet and then this it's his arc is unbelievable and the fact that i mean he's an he's become uh, an acolyte he's a zealot by the time we get to the third one he's a religious zealot uh in all the pu- most positive ways you can you can call somebody that like he is so powerful in those final scenes and that that whole final sequence is just so good that to me It it's another one of the things where I'm like, this is my favorite Luke moment in a film that I will still say is the least of the three. This is my favorite Luke moment, you know? It's, It's just that good.
2: Yeah, Luke's journey is a little bit strange because he does undergo this tremendous character arc. He is so different from point A to point C. But a lot of the changes we don't see. Like he's very different. In *The Empire Strikes Back*, than he was at the end of *Star Wars*. Uh, you know, obviously a number of a number of years have passed, but he's a little bit more confident. He's a little bit more cowboyish, I think, in like the way he leads Rogue Squadron. But we see a lot of sort of changes. But from the end of the Empire to where he is at the beginning of *Return of the Jedi*, he's he's pretty much almost completely changed. And we we only get a little bit of. Like emotional crisis in him, like i I never got the sense that he was afraid of fighting Darth Vader again, only that he he was in this position where if I see him, then we have to kill him, and this this means a different thing for me now that I know the truth about him, but it wasn't like he was gun shy after their first encounter, which mm-hmm. left him in such a wrecked physical and emotional state, so it it's just it's very yeah he he's he goes on this interesting position um getting back to that moment at the end of the empire strikes back and this is why i said i wanted to do jedi so that i could comment on anything that you guys left off <laughs> um like because i was so young when i saw these movies and i feel like i saw them at a relatively close time period so that i am your father line that revelation was kind of lost on me i was just too young and i didn't have to deal with that for three years wondering if it was true it just didn't have the same weight for me it never has i have since come to absolutely adore that moment in the movie for different reasons and it's because one thing that people talk about with the Empire Strikes Back. And the reason I think it's the best one is because it's the best technically done. It's the best directed. It's the best written. It's the best performed. And it's also got the best music. As classic as the the classic themes are from Star Wars, John Williams improved on them in the Empire Strikes Back with the addition of the Imperial March, Mm. that was new for Empire, and Yoda's theme, or the Force theme, that was new for Empire. But when you look at the structure of The Empire Strikes Back, that moment when they have their fight on the little like gangway and he cuts off Luke's arm, that is the dramatic climax of that movie. We have been waiting this entire movie to see them fight, to see how this plays out, and it ends with our protagonist being physically mauled or maimed and, and crippled and losing his weapon. Now the fight is over. He has lost, and he's Like at at the moment of extreme helplessness. That is the, the dramatic physical climax of the movie. And 60 seconds later, it's partnered with the emotional climax of the movie when Vader says those words, no, I am your father. And at that moment, if you watch the movie, you can hear the music. It's this slow version of the Imperial March, this slow refrain build up. From that moment you can watch the movie without any dialogue. Mm. At that point, John Williams takes over the sound of the movie. None of the dialogue from that point on is important. There's still a few lines, but it's expositional stuff. It's you know, Leia, hear me. We got to go back. We got to rescue him. The Millennium Falcon will be in range of our tractor beam in a few minutes. Oh, we're going to Tatooine. None of that matters. From that moment, Luke, I am your father. The music carries everything about the end of that movie. It's amazing hmm. because at that point, at that point, if you're an audience watching that for the first time, you can't hear anything. It's all white noise. Your mind has been blown. <laughs> by that dramatic moment. So at that point they're like, okay, we can't have an important conversation at this point. That's what Kazdan realized. He's like, nothing the characters say after this matters.
1: Interesting. So. I never
2: thought of that, but you're entirely correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, and I just kind of made that realization within about a year ago and I it's oh, it floors me. And I just <laughs> you can just listen to that music. Get find that part of the Empire Strikes soundtrack and just
1: play it and you can watch it in your mind. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Speaking of music, I always forget to mention music in like every episode of this film war, Not just the Star Wars episodes, like all the shows. I never mention the music. I just think my mind just doesn't go there. But I, before I forget this, the Jedi does feature a piece of music that I always notice and is so powerful to me. Is when after uh, Luke has rescued her, his father, and he's dragged him onto that ramp mm-hmm. of the of the the shuttle, and mm-hmm. Darth Vader is literally—he's done. Di- he dies. He he says, yep. "You've already saved me," and he lives back. And you hear the strings of the of that the, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. like but quiet. I right. I, was, I was like, "Oh my!" That was like, "Wow!" It was so yeah, powerful a, to like... reuse that theme in that minor way, and it just under it underlines that scene so perfectly. I was like, "Man, John Williams!" Ugh. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Talented guy, <laughs> yeah, I know.
2: Um, yeah, and to bring it back. Like the the moment before that. Like I I do love the the whole scene in the emperor's chamber. Like I've always loved it, and I love just the coloring, the lighting of that mm-hmm. whole sequence because they're all in black, and you have these two different colored lightsabers with the red and the green, but the room itself has this weird blue highlight and accents in some of the computer work. So it's just black with these three primary colors kind of playing off of each other. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love that.
1: Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's fantastic. And the uh, the final bit too, and the stuff that, uh, that Lucas ended up adding at the last moment, I think shot in, on Skywalker Ranch of, of Luke burning Vader's body. Mm -hmm. on the funeral pyre. That, to me, is an amazingly shot scene. Again, you talk about colors it's just yellow and black. Yeah. And you just, the only way you make Luke out at all is from the flickering flames and the way that the camera pans into the sky. And of course, they didn't realize that they were doing themselves a favor by having that scene because now that you have the charred Darth Vader helmet, you can have that as <laughs> a major <laughs> element in the Forza Wagon. Exactly. Um, but I mean, that's that to me is, whoever thought of that, I guess it was somebody that said, wait a minute, it was." it's unclear. Where's Vader's body? Is it still in the thing? And so they added that at at the last moment, and to me, it's like that's the capper of their relationship. Is mm-hmm. that scene is sending Darth Vader is by by cremating the body? You're you're sort of honoring Anakin and and saying getting rid of the Darth Vader part of of the, of the universe, sort of. And it's amazing that that was not done in the original script. That that was done at the last moment. Because to me, it's it's the capper of the whole right. thing. And but even as a kid, like. I
2: never thought about the prequels when I was that young. I just it didn't occur to me that there would be stories set mm-hmm. before that. Even though I imagine, well, yeah, it's just part of backstory. Every movie, every story has backstory, but it's called backstory. You don't have to revisit it. For me, that moment with Luke burning Vader, it it wasn't so much about the end of Vader's story for me. It was part of Luke's journey. Right. It was part of him ascending and and kind of acknowledging that this is part of the Jedi's quest, this is the final trial, is that sacrifice. Yeah. And, yeah,
1: so, so I've always liked that for that reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I said it's, it, I, I think Jedi just, is, is as good as the other films. It's, it, you know, structurally, it's got some issues or whatever, but in, in terms of a film that uh, we were talking, actually, I commented uh, about your last episode of the Dead Boffin Spies, we were talking about Revenge of the Sith, in that, like, to me, Revenge of the Sith is the best, of the prequels but it has scenes that i think are among some of the worst moments of all three films
0: mm-hmm. and
1: to me jedi is flipped it is the least good film but it features scenes that are my favorites among anything in the other in any of the other movies so uh, you know it's sort of an it's more of a grab bag of great moments and some not so great moments and some weird pacing but the moments that are great are so great that i just completely i'm like no they, i i love jedi just as much as the other two films but who's at the center of those moments that you love about return of the jedi it's all luke
2: it's all luke it's story. that is my primary criticism with return of the jedi is you can take han solo and princess leia out of the movie the plot does not change yeah pretty much like anybody could have been leading that endor mission yeah like that that could have been lando you could have had han on the falcon like their their parts don't really matter they're there for screen time because they're the actors that we know and love but it's all luke's journey yeah and it's a great it's a great finale to his journey but i mean coming off of the empire strikes back where really that han and leia relationship stole the show in many ways they get nothing to do. Yeah. And and you
1: kinda wanna like why did Harrison Ford come back for that? Yeah. Uh, you can almost see why he was so dissatisfied with mm-hmm. Star Wars for so long, but luckily that has changed, that has as changed. we all know. So yeah. hopefully we get the real you know, the engaged Harrison in episode seven seems like we will. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, but that's for next week. Uh, <laughs> which is amazing to think that after three years of build up, that we are just a couple days away from from the Force Awakens. Uh, I three days from now, three days from three now, three days from now. I don't. I didn't necessarily want to even talk about Force Awakens on this because I really wanted to focus on Jedi, but I can't help it. Let me. I'll just throw this to you, and then we will we will wrap up. Like what what do you want out of the Force Awakens? If you can even sort of surmise, you know, s- summarize all that. Is, what do you want to Feel when you come out of that movie In a couple days Um, What I
2: want and what I Should expect are two different things Um, What I should expect Is a fun Adventure movie that I Will be proud of and that I think Will be A A positive and rewarding legacy film for new generations who want to become Star Wars fans that will enjoy this movie to some degree the way we enjoyed the classic trilogies. That's what should happen. What I want, I can't help it, I want the fountain of youth. (laughs) I I, I want this to feel like I'm a kid again. And I, I don't even want to say that's not going to happen because who knows?
1: Maybe. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's interesting that you use the word proud. I, I never thought of it that way, but I think that's true to a certain extent. It's like you want to be able to point to it and say, this is why I love Star Wars so much, because this is really good. You know, like you want to be able to. to I remember my mom. Uh, growing up, my mom just thought all science fiction and, and any of that stuff was just silly. Just mm-hmm. she, My mom had no tolerance for anything. You could set a movie ten minutes in the future. She's like, that's ridiculous. Nobody knows what the world's like in ten minutes from now. It's just crazy. And so she never went with me to any of those movies I loved as a kid. She never saw any of those Star Wars movies, Star Trek, Superman, none of that stuff. Except she took me to see Superman four. And I remember we're watching the movie and she literally turned to me during the movie and said, "You like this stuff?" <laughs> and it was so hard. I was like, "Not this one." You know, but I mean, try to explain that to somebody. You know I've, what I mean? I I've had those moments where I'm, uh, you know, a fan of a
2: movie or a TV show or something and try to show that to my wife and we just happen to turn on the worst possible yeah. episode. <laughs> And it's, yeah, no, no, I, I completely know what you're talking
1: about. Yeah, so it's like I want, I want Force Awakens to just be such an overwhelmingly great movie and a fun movie and a movie that just celebrates everything that people love about Star Wars that you can point to and say, this is why I'm such a nerd for this. This is why so many of us are so ridiculous about Star Wars, The why we're threatening to unfriend people. <laughs> over spoilers because this is how much it means it because if it's another set of prequels then it's really going to be hard You're be, no no the older ones are really good trust me now it'll be great to have a modern example of why this is so good Right. I also want to see a Boffin on screen. <laughs> it's
2: it's the reason I named my podcast Dead Boffin Spies. I've always been fascinated by that one line from Mon Mothma in Return yeah, of the Jedi, when she says, died, many Boffins yeah. died. for And then you look at it's like, OK, is, is Nine numb? Is he a Boffin? No, he's something called a Celestin. OK, was, was there a Boffin in Jabba's palace? No. It's like, well, what do these things look like? And if you go online and you Google it, there's like 50 different representations that are all illustrated, because it's never been in a movie. We're getting five new Star Wars movies in the next five years, certainly one of them. Can show me what a Bothan is officially supposed to look like. Surely we can get an
1: anthology film about the Bothans. Clearly, clearly, for God's sakes. So there's there going to be a Star Wars movie every year until we all, till long past we all die. So there should be a Bothan movie about that. So, uh, so yeah, I think that is going to do it for Return of the Jedi. Uh, as I said, we love it. It's Return of the Jedi. What can you, what can you say, uh, Ryan? Everyone knows where they can find you on the internet, but tell everybody anyway. Uh, Well, the most topical form for this one
2: would be the Dead, Both, and Spies, a Star Wars podcast, which is available on iTunes, and you can find it at deadbothandspies.blogspot.com. There's also a Facebook page for it. Also, I do the Secret Origins podcast, which is devoted to the Secret Origins comics published by DC in the 1980s. And uh, I'm actually, I'm not going to mention the Black Canary one, because that one will be defunct soon. Um, you can also occasionally hear me as part of the G.I. Joe A Real American Headcast, which is hosted <laughs> by Aaron Moss, Kyle Benning, and myself, where we talk about the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I love all of Ryan's shows, but I, the Dead, Both, and Spice has really helped me stoke my fandom for Star Wars you know and so it's been it's been uh, a lot of fun to listen to and been beyond uh, because I've just been deep diving on Star Wars geekery ever since Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm and so it that that show has definitely been a, a part of the conversation for these couple of years so I really appreciate that show I think it's great i well, happy to do it yeah so uh, as always with us uh, again I keep saying us it's just me really uh, the Twitter feed, if you want to follow the show, is Film and Water Pod. Please do. I love engaging in conversation about anything, movies specifically, on the Twitter feed. The email address is FireWaterPodcast at concast.net. And, uh, of course, over on Fire... You can either go to firewaterpodcast.com or fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com It'll take you to the same place where you can see all the shows that are part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Next week... It's going to be very exciting. We are going to have... I keep saying we. I am going to have all three of my Star Wars guests on at the same time. Mike Bailey, Shag, and Ryan to all talk about The Force Awakens. It's going to be... uh Oh, it's going to be like the Jal- uh, Jabba's uh, palace room. It's going to be so crowded, uh, but it'll be. That or it's going to be something out of Animal House. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a wild frat party. <laughs> That'd be cool. I love Animal House. That'd be great. Have a brew. no cost nothing. Um, yeah, just in a couple of days will be The Force Awakens. So, everybody, I hope you enjoy the film. I uh, certainly plan to. Ryan, I hope you do too. And uh, I guess we'll see you all back here in a week. And until then, may the Force be with you. And also with you.
0: Rebo's got the beat, and the band plays on. You can relive it all with Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Introducing Size Snoodles and the Rebo Band. Job of the hot Action Playset sold separately. Play it again, Size. Storing Size Snoodles. Troopy McCool on clarinet. Max Rebo on organ. rib ribbit, Rebo. <laughs> Dance, Troopy. It's your last solo Snoodles. Whoa, whoa, Size Snoodles and the Rebo Band. Job of the hot Action Playset sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection.